I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, February 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Jackson State University's president is arrested in a prostitution sting. And the Senate Appropriations Committee considers the Department of Public Safety's budget request. Then Mississippi honors the nation's first African-American senator. Senator. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jackson State University President William Bynum has resigned from his position after being arrested over the weekend during a prostitution sting. The two-day operation by the Clinton Police Department led to the arrest of the former JSU president and 16 others, including Shonda McCarthy, director of the Jackson State University Art Galleries. Mark Jones, communications director of the Clinton Police Department, shares the details of the sting with MPB's Kobe Vance. Uh, For two days over the weekend, Friday night into early Sunday morning, the Clinton Police Department um, led an undercover prostitution sting uh, that netted 17 arrests during the course of the investigation uh, or the the operation. um, An ad was placed on one of several uh, online websites um, offering uh, services for prostitution, and our detectives um, in the midst of, of the operation had communication with multiple people who who arranged for the amount for a location and for the types of services that they would like to receive. And they, um, in the course of the investigation, would then come to a local hotel here in Clinton and uh, at that point, our undercover officers would effect an arrest. What, like, what led up to this um, this operation? Um, over the period of several months, we did another prostitution sting in the summer. And over a period of time, as we we do regular policing activities, certain information, certain intelligence becomes 
um, apparent, and we we begin to act upon that. And uh, this is the result of previous investigations into other crimes that we uh, undertook a sting. And so it's a continued uh, part of police operations to keep the city of Clinton safer and to eliminate the effects of drugs and prostitution on our community, on any community in that matter. And when it comes to public figures like this, um, do y'all handle it any differently than y'all would a normal case? Um, absolutely not. Uh, we we packaged it up. Uh, we did not alert the media as to the, any individual's um, occupation or, or uh, place in the community. Um, those are, are put into a list, um, in this case, a list of individuals in no particular order with their names, their um, city of residence, and the crimes that they are charged with, and we release those as one. Uh, all individuals um, under the law are afforded, in this case, the, the exact right, and also um, that same, I guess, courtesy uh, not to, to highlight one person or over another. You mentioned earlier it's about the safety. Could you expand on that and talk a little about what this is, the overall goal of these investigations are? Um, overall goal in many cases on a prostitution thing is number one to try to identify any any women, men, teenagers, children who are victims of human trafficking. Uh, it, it's a heinous crime. It's a multi-billion dollar crime in the U.S. And uh, so we were um, possibly looking for a um, we we're possibly looking for any victims of human trafficking. In this case, we we did not undercover any victims at this point, but at the same time. Uh, you know, under the course of investigation, we ought to also want to eliminate the the other effects. Usually, when you find uh, prostitution, you also find drugs, you find other illegal activities, and so uh, this helps keep the city safer and cleaner. Because anytime you can eliminate one type of illegal activity, you may also be able to minimize other illegal activities. Human trafficking isn't just something we see on the on the pages of a website. Um, human trafficking happens in neighborhoods uh, across our cities, every city. If you suspect human trafficking is happening near you, if you know somebody who may be the victim of human trafficking, we encourage you to visit to contact the local authorities or the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. William Bynum was arrested for procuring services of a prostitute, false statement of identity, and simple possession of marijuana. The news came as a shock to many students and faculty, including Jordan Jefferson, president of Jackson State Student Government Association. He tells our Kobe Vance his message to students right now is to stay positive. Well, like my first reaction, I was in a state of shock and was trying to put everything together. Um, that was really my first reaction. Well, you know, I built a, a relationship with Dr. Bynum, so, you know, a sense of in denial, a sense of... Uh, like just just thinking that was just honestly that's what I do when stuff like stuff dramatic stuff like this happens um I mean traumatic stuff like this happens I just start thinking where do students want to go from here um uh we, we just had a meeting with Dr. Jackson uh, our VP chief of staff of the university and really just keeping a positive attitude and a positive light for the university um yes it's sad yes it's uh traumatic but we're going to still keep positive we have a game tonight versus Southern University on ESPN so we're going to have great energy and stay positive so what do you what do you think students need to do to stay positive 
Um, watch how they post on social media. I make a mockery of this. Uh, put your university in a good light. Um, support each other. Go to each other's events. Smile. And, uh, yeah. What things uh, would you like to see in a uh, full-time uh, uh, president of the of the university? Uh, for the next university president, I would hope for them to really kind of keep the same mindset motto is to always keep students first, always um, look at different avenues for the university that past presidents or other people have not been doing, and honestly just have a great brand for the university. Yep. And then uh, lastly, is there any other thoughts that like st- questions the students have been asking you uh, that you want to like that you can address uh, can address? Honestly, no. It's just really staying positive. Um, I can't. I don't lead at a negative light, and I don't thrive off it either. So, staying positive, um, bringing positive media to the school as a leader and as a student, and um, be the change that I want to see. JSU is a great university. Um, it's a great HBCU. Um, yes, stuff happens at every university, but don't let this negative light affect the whole university as a whole. Yes, uh, this is a big issue, but we're more than just an issue. Um, it's a great community here, great leadership here. So, yeah, we're a great school. Jordan Jefferson is president of the JSU Student Government Association. As the IHL board begins its search for a new president, retired JSU professor and Dean Ivory Phillips hopes they will consider a replacement familiar with the institution and share its mission. If you go back in history, what you'll realize is that the last long-term president we had was Dr. John Peoples, and we've had a lot of in and outs since then. They were almost always people who were from elsewhere with very little knowledge of Jackson and, and Jackson State and its history. And my estimation, and I think a lot of people's estimation, is they were simply the wrong fits. What, what are your hopes for the next president of JSU? That is a person who will really understand what Jackson State is all about, what its mission has been and, and should be, and that they're interested in growing Jackson State as opposed to it remaining just as it always has been. The College Board has appointed Thomas Hudson to be the acting president of Jackson State. Hudson currently serves as special assistant to the president and chief diversity officer. Coming up, the Senate Appropriations Committee considers the Department of Public Safety's budget request. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials with the Mississippi Department of Public Safety are seeking a hefty budget increase to hire more troopers and make upgrades. Pat Cronin is with the agency's administration opera, or administrative operations. During a Senate Appropriations Committee meeting, Cronin made the case for additional funding to help upgrade the crime lab, hire more staff, and increase salaries. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the department is good stewards of the funds it receives. 
We're asking for a trooper school for next year. We're asking for some upgrades at the, at the crime lab, which are desperately needed. And we're asking for some additional money for Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics. We're, we're trying our best to be good stewards of the money that we have, but there are some needs. We didn't ask for anything that was a want. We kept it primarily to needs of the Department of Public Safety for, for, to fulfill our mission. What is the dollar amount? Well, the general fund appropriations is about $55 million increase, but if you look at it where we ask for some alternative funding for some of our construction projects and some of our other special projects, they're pared it on down to about uh, less than $18 million. Well, you know the legislators might have been looking at you saying, $55 million. Well, we're a big operation. We do a lot of things. The Department of Public Safety has a lot of tentacles that touch, you know, every part of the state of Mississippi. It's not just the highway patrol. It's the crime labs, the Bureau of Narcotics, and it's uh, public safety planning. It's a law enforcement officer's training academy. When you look at the big picture, uh, we have some significant needs. We had to send over 100 troopers just a couple weeks ago for a 14-day stay at Department of Corrections at Parchman, and that cost us about half a million dollars just for that alone. And when those 100 troopers go to quell this insurrection that we have up there, then we have to backfill with another 100 troopers, which puts us in an overtime situation. So it's a very complicated issue when you talk about DPS and the different divisions in it. Uh, we're, we're, we're concerned with public safety, every aspect of it. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the troopers that you have on the road. How many do you have now? We have 508 troopers statewide, and we have 300 and I believe it's 345 that are on the road. And the others that make that 508, we have some that are Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. They're investigative officers. We have some that are involved in full-time training, and we have some with executive protection detail. And you have over 130 that are eligible to retire. We have 130 right now that could retire. We, we, we never know until later in the fiscal year who's going to take advantage of that. But we have to plan for worst-case scenario, which is right now 130. Pat Cronin is with the Department of Public Safety's Administrative Operations. Senator Briggs Hobson of Vicksburg chairs the Appropriations Committee. He tells our Desiree Frazier his committee will consider the information, but it's too soon to prioritize any requests. Uh, obviously, I had questions about uh, the number of troopers that are out on the road and the need for additional uh, troopers that will be serving our people. And then I had other questions about cost of uh, forensics laboratory work. It's being done, and I think one of the other things I asked was about the um, uh, shooting range, the firing range at the training academy. What do you think um, the allocation, do you think you can give them a little bit more to deal with retain, getting more troopers since they have, what, 130 that are eligible to retire? Well, you know, that's an important thing to know, that there are 130 that are eligible, but it's I would equate it to something like the teacher situation in our state. Obviously, we could use some more teachers, and we have lots that are eligible, but we surely hope that they don't all retire at one time. And I think that there are a lot of troopers that are eligible, but they will continue to serve. Uh, so I hope that our actual number that's low is not as uh, dire as they may have put it, but uh, certainly it's something we need to keep an eye on.
So as you look at their budget, uh, is there a major concern? I know the driver's license services uh, was a point of contention. Well, I, they're going to have to, we're going to have to make sure that there's enough. I think we're doing better there, but they need to continue to show that they've got improvements. Last year, we put specific line items in their budget to make sure that they were emphasizing the new uh, kiosks at the driver's license stations and making sure they expedite the, the process there. And that was a big complaint for a lot of people, uh, including many of us that work here in the capital, having trouble getting our, um, you know, getting our, us and our families and friends, getting people licenses. So, uh, it's something they're going to have to continue to work on. Based on reports, it seems to be off to a pretty good start. To looking ahead, you're still in the budget, budget hearing phase. Any idea of um, who you're most concerned about increasing budgets for? Well, we've already, uh, at least on the Senate side, we've already increased the state teacher pay by $1,000, which is about a $52 million uh, increase to the budget, and that's a recurring expense. So it's not just this year. It'll be every year thereafter. Uh, that's certainly a big uh, portion of the budget, an increased portion. A lot of people with a lot of requests. I think there are probably over a billion dollars worth of additional requests on top of uh, the funds that were allocated and appropriated last year. Uh, so there's a lot to look at, and obviously we've got to pick and prioritize the things that are important. Uh, not everybody's going to get increased budgets, um, but we're going to see what we can do to make it the best. And, and the ideal here is to get the services to the citizens of the state. Republican Briggs Hobson chairs the Appropriations Committee. Coming up, Mississippi honors the nation's first African-American senator. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we recognize Elizabeth Taylor Greenfield, born a slave in 1819 in Natchez, Mississippi. Elizabeth Greenfield had little reason to dream of a life that would eventually become her own. Because of a series of unlikely circumstances and her own relentless efforts, she would eventually become known as the Black Swan, America's first African-American classical music singer. This has been MPB Moments in Black History. The 2020 legislative session is underway at the Mississippi State Capitol, and at issue is the place to be for gavel-to-gavel coverage. Lawmakers are expected to discuss a number of issues like criminal justice reform, teacher and state employee pay raises, and workforce development. Join me, Wilson Stribling, along with our political analysts, Brandon Jones and Austin Barber, as we bring you insight on these issues and how lawmakers are handling them. At issue, Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB-TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In January of 1870, the Mississippi legislature convened in the old capital to determine who would represent the time, the readmitted state in the U.S. Senate. It would be the first time since the Civil War that Mississippi filled its Senate seats. The next month, Hiram Revels would become the first African-American to be elected to the Senate, and 150 years later, that milestone is being commemorated. The Mississippi Department of Archives and History will honor Revels on the very floor he was elected to represent the state of Mississippi. Serving as keynote speaker at the event is Dr. Eric Foner, the DeWitt Clinton Professor Emeritus at Columbia University. He was born free in uh, North Carolina, educated there in a school for uh, free black children. Later, he moved to the Midwest. He studied in Illinois, 
Uh, he became a preacher in the African Methodist Episcopal Church and preached in all around the sort of Midwest. He came to Mississippi in, we think, in 1864 during the Civil War. He settled in Natchez uh, in 18, uh, when radical Reconstruction came along and uh, African Americans in the uh, South were given the right to vote and hold office. He was appointed an alderman uh, in Natchez and then uh, shortly after that elected to the Mississippi State Senate. He was not a politician, though, to begin with. He was a minister, as you said. Yeah, he was an educator and a minister. Uh, but, you know, he, he was educated, he was well-traveled, and, you know, most most uh, African-Americans at that point were newly released from slavery and hadn't had the opportunities uh, that a man like Revels had. So he, you know, people like him were often sort of brought into politics just because um, the former slaves wanted, you know, African-Americans to represent them, but the number who were, you know, well-educated like Revels were uh, not that many, so he was basically asked to take part in politics to represent his people. How did he come to the attention of the Mississippi legislature that they would consider him to be a U.S. senator? Uh, Well, even there, there are a number of different accounts. One account by John R. Lynch, who was another black uh, political leader in Reconstruction. He later said that what made uh, Revels a candidate for the U.S. Senate was that he he gave the sort of invocation when the state senate met for the first time in 1870 uh, when he was a member and it was so eloquent and so uh, moving that uh, people said well uh, this guy <laughs> you know this guy is qualified to be a... there were two open US senate seats at that time obviously you know there had not been senators from mississippi during the civil war or immediately afterwards and uh, it was generally thought that one of those seats would go to a black uh, a black person. Uh, blacks were 57, 58 percent of the population of Mississippi around that time. Um, so that's one. On the other hand, he was a presiding elder of the AME Church, I think, in, in Natchez. And, um, you know, that made him a fairly prominent person in the black community. So I don't think it was just his... Uh, uh, invocation that brought him to the attention of people. He was elected by the legislature, which at that time was how it worked. It was another 40-plus years before the public elected their representatives. Yes, yes. The I think the 17th Amendment in the early 20th century shifted uh, the power to elect senators to a popular vote, not the legislature. So it was those legislators who uh, made him the first African-American senator to serve in Washington. When he got to Washington, D.C., it was not smooth sailing by any measure. Tell us what happened. Yeah, he. Uh, what happened was that uh, the, 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 the Senate at that time in, in Washington was overwhelmingly Republican, but there were Democratic senators, and they objected because the U.S. Constitution says that a senator must have been a citizen of the United States for nine years at least prior to serving in the Senate. And Democrats said, wait a minute, black people were not citizens before the Civil War. That's what the Dred Scott decision said by the Supreme Court. In fact, they didn't really become citizens until the 14th Amendment was ratified, which would be 1868. Republicans said this is ridiculous. First of all, Dred Scott was wrongly decided. Second of all, the end of slavery wiped away the racist elements in American law, 
and Dred Scott was no longer relevant, and uh, Revels, having been born in the United States, was a citizen, regardless of the Dred Scott decision. And so the vast majority of the Senate, being Republican, agreed to seat him toward the end of February 1870, so we're coming up shortly to the 150th anniversary of Revels uh, taking a seat as the first African-American member of Congress. Was he significant for the one year that he served in the U.S. Senate? Did he leave a lasting mark? Revels left a lasting mark, but it was not uh, through legislation. You know, a freshman senator uh, who serves for only one year is not going to be uh, is not going to have a lot of uh, legislative accomplishments. Revels's significance was as a symbol. He was he was an embodiment of the radical change that had occurred in the United States as a result of the Civil War and the destruction of slavery. He was hailed by the black community of Washington. Portraits of him were bought in lithograph form by black people all over the country. It was revels as a symbol of the fact that African Americans were now political. They were equal before the law. They had the same political rights, the same civil rights for the first time in American history as white Americans. So that's the significance of Revels. He was an embodiment of the radical change that had occurred uh, in the United States uh, as a result of the Civil War and the end of slavery. Dr. Eric Foner is a professor emeritus of history at Columbia University. He is the keynote speaker on Tuesday, the 150th anniversary of when Hiram Revels was seated in the U.S. Senate, the first African-American in the United States to do so. Thank you so much for being with us. A pleasure to talk to you. And the commemorative celebration is co-sponsored by the Mississippi Humanities Council and Alcorn State University. It takes place this evening at 6 at the Old Capitol Museum. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.